Welcome to Six Pack Discussions, where Cody and Jared take on the biggest, most talked about headlines with logic, passion, and a six pack of beer. If you're listening, we challenge you to take an unbiased view of the world, as we know these conversations are complicated. So sit down, crack a beer, and welcome a new perspective. Okay, guys, coming up with a new episode from Six Pack Discussions. You got uh, Cody and Jared, as always. We are actually sitting in a new spot. We moved to uh, kind of a new our, studio area. A new studio. Yeah. So, totally different. Uh, first episode, I think this is going to be like episode 53, 54. So, we are a full year in at this point. Yeah. Making every, the move. Every Tuesday, man. How cool is that? It's been fun. It, you know, I get questioned about, I don't know how often you I get questioned about, uh, you know, our podcast all the time. And uh, it, it's probably one of my more unique slash rewarding hobbies. 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy telling people what we talk about. Um, I'm always like, here's here's our most recent episode. I send it over to them. And they always have questions like, wow, you guys talk about really, really complicated uh, and I guess sensitive Topics may be the right word to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're sensitive. I know I pushed this off for a year, but you know, up to and including even the, uh, the abortion issues. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's a subject off limit here. No, not at all. And there uh, shouldn't be, you know, look, I know there are a ton of people that say, Hey, you know, you shouldn't talk about X, Y, and Z at the dinner table at, um, you know, the office, et cetera. Right. But it's one of those things where, why aren't you willing to talk about X, Y, and Z? Why aren't you willing to understand your position on abortion, your position on the inflation issue, your position on, you know, a multitude of subjects? Yeah, it's, it's the subjects that are almost told not to talk about are the ones that probably need the most conversation. If you think about it, to, to solidify a good, a good, um, not moral high ground, but just understand where you, your own position is. You need to have a conversation. Actually, maybe you're not right. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not wrong. You know. Yeah, you, you know, it's one of those things where I don't know. I, I guess I view. You know, I, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to where I have you know a few good friends in this life, right? And with those few good friends, there's no subjects up to including money. I don't care that that I can't talk about with my friends. And 100%. what I don't understand, unless you're just willing or wanting, not willing, unless you're just wanting it to stay surface level for the duration of the relationship, okay, then avoid these subjects. But whenever you actually peel back the onion a little bit, I don't know. It's very similar to how the strength of relationship is often, you kind of almost go back, well, I've been friends with them for 20 years. Okay, no, it's not just the time. It's actually what you've gone through over those 20 years. 100%. Right? You know, that's why, you know, I have so many close friends from the academy. Because you were at some low, low points to where you you kind of were able to to feel each other and help each other out. I mean, and that's kind of the same in, you know, wanting to breach some of these touchier subjects. Well, that's where you actually feel people out because there are going to be low points in the conversation. You you say and think things based off your own experiences and the facts as you understand them. And that gives someone else a chance to respond. And it may not be as inviting as you're in, intending, maybe, you know, so. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Some of the best opinions are formed, you know, sometimes under scrutiny, you know. Well, well, also, how many times have you and I, we've gone into an episode and we've done a lot of research and and we are just ironclad, yep, this is what I think. How many times have we flip-flopped in a podcast? Yeah, it's rare that we go in and we're 100% already on our point. Um, 
Talking about today's episode, um, we are drinking Firestone Hypnosis IPA. Talk about, you know, kind of a neat can and also a neat trip. label, right? Well, look Trippy. at look at the pupil. Got a little hot right? there. Hop inside the it's pupil. Looks like a pineapple. Yeah. Jerry, what are we talking about today, man? Yeah, today we're going to be talking about impoverished neighborhoods and uh, hopefully going to come up with a couple different solutions that that maybe aim in in fixing them. But, um, you know, as I'm sure we're going to articulate a little bit later throughout the episode, uh, unfortunately, the data is almost trending to where they're getting worse. 100%. Yeah. Um, So real quick, you know, what is an impoverished neighborhood? Um, In most cases, these are generationally impoverished, meaning that it's happened over not only today's generation, but their parents or grandparents. Think of cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, There's really three factors that are considered when looking at a city or an area um, that that makes it considered impoverished. They look at uh, the number of residents in that city that are living uh, in poverty. So underneath the poverty line, which is, I think, uh, deemed 15,000. Oh, I thought it was 26,000 oh, 26, for a family of four, 20, oh, okay. 20, 26 or 28,000 for a family of four. It's like okay. the minimum you need okay. in order to sustain. The family yeah. of four, I think 15 was an individual. Okay, that sounds yeah. right. Um, income rank. So, you know, wh- what the income rank is, I guess, compared to other cities. Yeah. And then the percentage of population that is unemployed in that area. Um, and when you look at some of these cities, it is drastically a different picture than what some of our listeners may be used to. What me and you are probably used to when we look around our neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, and, and we've been fortunate enough where we've been able to drive to some of these areas where you drive through one of these neighborhoods and you're like, it, it feels like you almost go to a different country. Yep. In some cases. Yeah. I mean, just everything from hobbies to the look, the feel, the safety and lack thereof, secured feeling that you get. Um, the the crime that you that you just witness i mean the it, you don't feel good you don't you don't feel like you're in america no I, I think a lot of people look at americans and we think oh we're in the safest nation which we probably are one of the safest nations out there right where you don't have to worry about violent crime you know people literally robbing you at gunpoint and things like that that's just not something that's very common here in america um but you also think that if you want a job and you're willing to work you could probably get a job and so in some of these areas, the exact opposite is true, where some people are willing to work, but there's just not any type of, which we're going to get to, capital investment, any type of businesses, any type of actual job within 10, 15, 20 miles of where someone's living. Because of generationally, it's businesses have not invested because it's been a very risky investment, right? Their, their building could be burned down. Their building could be robbed. It's very challenging for a business to say that's a good investment for me to open up a, you know, a, a corner store knowing that it will be robbed every other week. Well, yeah, and unfortunately, I would say in the last couple of years, maybe two or three years, actually more specifically, it's almost become borderline common practice whenever an unfavorable, you know, maybe law ruling or, you know, what have you, then people just start go looting and, and just causing all sorts of chaos out the streets. Right. Oh, 100%. I think in the last two years, it's been way worse for those inner city areas. Dude, I don't know if it's just now getting reported or I don't know if it's just now happening, but it uh, it, it literally seems like any any type of police, police violence or an unfavorable ruling of the courts, oh my gosh, like board up your windows and try to sell off as much merchandise because you are screwed, right? 
I was I was in Louisville not too long ago. Louisville makes top ten, I think, um, top ten cities with the most under uh, impoverished. impoverished areas. And so I was in Louisville probably two months ago, and uh, I've been there two years ago. Oh no, three years ago. And uh, it was a great little town, downtown area, lively. They had this whole uh, I think it's called like um, music on Seventh Street or something. Live bands, live from 7th Street, that's what it's called, live from 7th Street. Live bands outside all day long, super fun. Uh, probably maybe 30 restaurants that are open and running all near my hotel, all in that downtown area. Like nice restaurants. Cool food, cool people. I'm there two months ago, and I walk around, and there is still boards, like plywood, all up on people's windows. Graffiti everywhere. There was two restaurants open within you know, I don't know, maybe 10 blocks of the hotel. The hotel guy said, hey man, good luck finding a restaurant that's even open. And I'm thinking, what happened recently? He's like, nah, this is all from about a year ago. So <clears throat> those type of situations cause not a um, short-term incident, but probably going to affect a whole decade worth of, of investment in that area. You know, I'm not going to reopen a restaurant. I'm not going to reopen a restaurant in that area knowing that there's a chance for my store to be looted or, or you know, burned down or things like that. Why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just open it down the street somewhere else? Yeah, because, I mean, you're not just talking about the isolated, um, you know, item on the balance sheet of replacing all of the merchandise or the food or or, or whatever you're, you're talking about. You know, from a human capital standpoint, do they feel safe to work there? Probably not. So good luck hiring and then not to mention, you know, maybe all the remodel and modifications that need to be had or maybe the extra security elements that need to be installed, thus increasing the price. And then unfortunately, you have to price yourself out of the market just to maybe turn a profit. So it's like, why the hell would I go through the pain in the ass of, of trying to make this work? Or I could just go 10 miles up the road and now human capital is not an issue. Now I don't have to have security bars. Now I don't have to have a security guard, right? Yeah, it's a... um it's a vicious circle, you could call it, in these underpoverished areas when, you know, uh, those areas tend to be a little bit more crime-ridden. Mm -hmm. But to get less crime, you need more investment, outside investment. But to get investment, you need to show the less ROI crime. and you need and you need to show that it's not a risky, too risky. At least. Yeah. And, and or you need to show the return, but heck, there's not enough money there to get a return. So yeah. how do you actually bring... Personal capital in there, right? 100%. Um, wanted to bring up a couple things for you. Um, so one of the things that a lot of these cities that we're talking about uh, historically have dealt with is, uh, you've probably heard of the term redlining yep. by banks and the federal housing policy. Yeah, this is actually kind of shady. This is shady and just honestly shitty. Wrong. Yeah, yeah wrong. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, yeah wrong. Um, shady. And, and wrong. for a lot of people listening, redlining is um, kind of a... Uh, ghost term, you know, it wasn't really used in, you know, say government paperwork and bank paperwork, but really what it was is that the federal housing policy, FHC, FHF or P, I forget what it's called, but um, essentially they um, provide government-backed loans to banks to make sure that there's enough kind of money going into the housing market for loans. So you guys probably have heard of Fannie Mae, Fannie, uh, Fannie Mae Freddie and Mac, Freddie Mac. Yeah. Those are essentially government-backed housing loans. So over the last, let's say 
70, 80 years, the government's been doing this. But about 70, 80 years ago, think of the 50s, 60s, you know, I, I think majority all the way through the end of the 60s, the government would be very selective on where they allowed tax dollar provided loans to be used for development of new housing. And in many cases, they would kind of incentivize or pretty much point blank tell you, no, you can't build right there next to this historic black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's too it's too risky of an investment for our loan because we believe you know that group of people to be a challenge for us. And so that's how the federal government approached the situation, which is completely wrong. And this is why it was called redlining because they would essentially mark areas and cities in a red pen and say, hey, Mr. Bank, Miss, Miss Banker, make sure you don't provide loans in these areas because they're too risky for us. Now, unfortunately, those areas were always usually of a minority group of some sort, um, normally uh, of black descent. Yep. So what happens when you do this? Well, it lowers, lowers the housing quantity in those areas. You take away nearby opportunity. You reduce business investment, causing, of course, reduced investment and opportunity overall in those areas. So I want to bring that one up because I think that one is known, but is not, it's not really solved for. So this one's hard to talk about, man, because, you know, unfortunately, as of late, and I'm speaking as of late, you know, let's just call it to every, uh, since about the past two or three years, maybe closer to two years, this, uh, this term of systemic racism yeah, has been floating around, right? And... You know, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's kind of a moot point, but there are certain wrongdoings that we've done as a country in the past. 100%. Redlining being probably top of the list. And one of the most recent. I I mean, guys, I don't know if you, I just want to reiterate what what time frame Cody was talking about. He was talking up into the 60s. This was a a common, I'm not going to go as far as a celebrated practice, but it was a a known practice. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's normal. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, we're talking 60 years ago. This was happening. So. <sighs> look, we, we have some black eyes. I, I think you're dead wrong. If you're going to say that America's done everything right. I, I would like to think, and maybe this is just me being naive. I would like to think that we're making conscious efforts um, with each administration, with each elected official, with each policy to ensure, you know, fair and equitable opportunity to succeed but unfortunately they were just people that were dealt in a that were dealt a shitty hand upon birth right and that's being born in an impoverished neighborhood now granted on the other hand i would take an impoverished neighborhood in america than damn near any of the country not only impoverished but maybe even a impoverished neighborhood in most other countries yeah um it's kind of interesting i looked at it and our poverty line is much higher than most countries because we determine poverty, of course, at a different level. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of shitty to say, but being in poverty in America is a good spot to be in poverty. I, it's, I it's a shitty damn to say, good spot. To be but it's, a, it's the best spot to be in poverty. Um, because we have, you know, class mobility like no other country. You know, if you're born in poverty in some countries, you will die in poverty. Here, you know, there's there's a chance to get out. And it's actually fairly high, which is really cool. Um. So I wanted to bring up redlining. We'll, we'll kind of figure out, you know, how we can solve for that. Um, 
one thing, and, and Jared, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but one thing I noticed is every single one of these cities um, seem to have one thing in common, at least from when I was kind of looking at each city and just from my own knowledge of each city, they have low business investment. So they don't really have a lot of you know, tech jobs. They don't have a lot of factory jobs. They don't have a lot of, um, let's say, median income jobs that are coming in and providing good pay. And so without that capital, there's less jobs, of course, good paying jobs. There's not really a lot of tax dollars because people are not having jobs to pay good tax dollars. And then that means that there's also less spending from hand, you know, cash moving from hand to hand, right? Um, if if I have a good job at a tech company or, or maybe one of our jobs or whatever it may be, I'm more likely to pay $15 for a haircut or $20 for a haircut. Just because I have a fairly good job and I'm like, you know what? I have a little extra cash. I'm going to spend $5 more on this haircut. So what happens is that there's now more barbershop jobs. There's more, there's more cash moving from hand to hand. I just see every one of those cities that I saw in the top 10. That's not true in those areas. I feel like companies are actually pulling out of those areas. What do you think? No, I think you're, I think you're spot on, man. But the the point that I was going to make earlier is well, yes, you know, uh, whether it's 15,000 for a single family, I'm sorry, for a single person or, or just under 30,000 for a family of four. Yes, I get it. Those are very low incomes, right? But, you know, what, what is it? I think we did the math a couple episodes ago to where if you work full time making, you know, the 750 minimum wage. Yeah. You know, what is that a year? Let's, let's see. So yeah, let's say we're at 18,000. So I, I 7.5 times 40 hours a week times 52 in a year. So about, yeah, 16,000, just under 16,000. Okay. So you have two people working minimum jobs. I'm sorry, minimum wage jobs. At 725? At 750. At 750. Yeah, that's rare unless you're like in Mississippi or West Virginia. Most other states, you're, you're earning more than that, but yeah. sorry. But, but, but my point being is if you just have two people in the household making minimum wage, working full-time jobs, that's over, you know, poverty what, line. yeah, the poverty line of 26,000. That's, that's closer to 32 actually. So this whole episode is, you know, how do we fix it? And I think we have to get to the root cause. One is kind of, hey, let, let's, let's separate niceties and necessities. You know, do you need the latest, greatest iPhone? Do you need, you know, a brand new car? Do you need everything? No. Or can you use the bus? Can you maybe ride a bike to work? Um, can you maybe just use a flip phone that we can still communicate with, you know, your, your family, friends, et cetera. <sighs> I think, I think it's actually rooted at maybe, uh, a mindset rather than just having a defeatist attitude. Hey, maybe I can actually take my matters into my own hands here. And I pick a partner and we both, we're going to start off in a minimum wage, bust our ass, maybe try to pick up overtime where we can have a clear set goal, a solid budget that we follow to a T and that's how you better provide for your family. And that's how you better better your ultimate outcome and get out of these impoverished neighborhoods, get out of these high crime neighborhoods. Yeah. No, I think I think that does work. I think I think what you're saying probably works for a minority of people that are in those neighborhoods. It probably will work for every single one of them. But there's discipline involved. And discipline is something that is it's a trait that's it's learnable. The cool thing is that discipline is very learnable. It's not like engineering. It's not like being a mathematician. Some of those things are, are God-given, right? You're born with some specific types of talents. Mm-hmm. 
discipline is something that is learnable, but one thing that I, when I was doing this research on this, I was thinking over and over again, if I was born in these neighborhoods, how different would I be? And what I, and what I know is I'd be different. Agreed. Right. I'd be different. I agree. And, and this is something that I, I, I forget. I think I said this on a podcast prior on an episode, but, um, one thing that I, I noticed when I went to well, where my family is from originally in LA area, we went there, we went back there for a, a funeral. My, one of my uncles had passed away. And while we're staying at the hotel, we're there with, you know, probably maybe 20 other relatives staying at that hotel. I go back to the hotel with my wife. Uh, Lillian was probably about six, seven months old, you know, just learning how to crawl. She actually learned how to crawl right there in that hotel. Oh, that's fun. I didn't know. Super that. fun, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, Anna, I got to go talk to my dad. You know, I got to go say, hey, thank you for getting me out of this neighborhood. Because I looked around while I was at the funeral. We went out to dinner with a bunch of family members, and I was thinking, man, the the ability to get out of this situation, to get out of the gangs and get out of the 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 challenges that present yourself by being in the same area is immensely harder when you're in it. And I, w- I went up to my, I found my parents' room and I, I walked in there. I was like, hey, dad, thanks. You made a, you took a huge risk on moving my our whole family out of an area that you said, I don't want my kids growing up in. You know, and, and, and it wasn't like it was easy to move out of, you know, I'm sure my mom didn't like it because moving away from a bunch of family members. But, I, I understood at that moment and you know, I, I think I was able to kind of realize it because I'm looking at my daughter right now crawling on this hotel floor. We're in this area where literally three days later, one of my cousins gets shot in the head. Three days later, he dies because he was there. Family members, we see him at dinner and a couple days later, my, my dad texts me, uh, texts me and says, Hey man, um, your cousin, um, just got shot in gang warfare in the streets in LA. He's in the hospital. He won't make it through the night. And I'm thinking, holy shit. And of course, this is, I didn't know this when I think my father at that point in time, but it just made me feel like I did the right thing. I went and said, thank you. If I was in that situation, would I have been able to make that same decision? And I don't know if I could, you know what I'm saying? Like everyone, when you, when you're put on the hot spot, it's hard. You know, you want to think you would. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure this isn't groundbreaking. I'm sure you've heard the, the, the phrase. And I'm going to butcher this and I'm sorry. It, it's something to the effect of you're the summation or you're the average of the people, the, the five people that you spend the most time with. Right. So in short, so your, true. your immediate environment, like hell, let, let's take you and I. Heck, our wives, you know, talk about all the time. It, it's wild how much time you and I spend together. 100%. We, we, the average of us is 100% pretty close to what we both are. Isn't that weird, though? Yeah. Um, so that's where, look, I'm not going to fault your cousin. I'm not going to completely fault, you know, the, these people that these impoverished neighborhoods seem to perpetuate further crime, further um, poverty styles, if you will. You know, bad decisions that continue... Um, or perpetuate these son, these, son, or father to son, father to son, father yeah, to son, right? Because I, I'm a big believer 
and who you spend the most time with is, is a summation of you, you know, whether it's a character issue, whether it's a drive, work ethic, um, money spending habits, money making habits, right? So that's where I, I, I do think at times the environment is at fault. And I'm not completely absolving grown ass men, grown ass women from their decisions. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. Don't, he- don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying though is the environment that people are in has a bigger impact than I think people realize. It's funny that you shared that story. I don't know if I've shared this with you, actually. This was about two or three months ago. Um, so guys, I'm originally from, you know, South Dallas, not a good neighborhood at all. Uh, after my parents split, lived in a really, really shitty apartment complex with my mom there. I mean, I would witness drug deals happen on the daily and I'm like eight or nine years old. Like it was, it wasn't exactly ideal. And uh, anyways, my best friend at the time, his name was Devante. I don't want to, you know, go last name, but uh, super, super weird feeling, man. So on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. This is probably like, like I said, maybe a month, two months ago. And the people you may know comes up and I'd be damned if I don't see Devante in his last name. And I see a picture and granted, I haven't seen this guy in 25 years. Be like, wow, why not connect or something like that? So I click on him. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how weird. So I reach out to him. I was like, hey, Devante, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember me. You know, we hung out. I mean, he was like my you. I, I yeah. mean, I we hung out all the time after school. We would ride our bikes around the apartment complex and everything. So he's in his early 30s as well. Dude's been in jail four times. Shit. Four times. Literally just got out. And he, like told, I was, and he told you that all via Facebook? Or? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah. So I'm, I'm clicking on his on his. uh Facebook profile, whatever, just looking at his like different statuses and and pictures that he's throwing up and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, this was my best friend for two or three years from the age of like, you know, maybe seven to 10, eight to 10. And and the move that your stepdad, single yeah. mom or your stepdad, right at that point in time, right? I know it's your, I know uh, they, they had, uh, they had just started dating while we okay. were in the apartment. Um, and yeah. then. And he said they got married, and then shortly thereafter, he got transferred out here to, to yeah. Chandler. And he, but he had to make that decision, right? Yeah, to, to transfer. It's yeah. not like it's like, hey, you have to move. It's like, hey, you have the decision to do exactly. It. And I'm sure, you know, being from there, your mom could have said, nah, yeah, right. She he's very easily barely knew this guy and everything. It was yeah. all coming up. But that was one of those decisions, just like my dad had to do. He said, you know what? Very similar, man. We're gonna go somewhere different, and you know what? Somewhere different could be worse. But the cool thing is, is that I think when most people move out of those bad areas, you're almost always going to somewhere better, right? Well, it's one of those things where I'm not, I'm not trying to be calloused or, or mean or an asshole here, but is there any ways, is there any place worse? Like honestly, in the yeah. heart of Detroit, yeah. in the heart of Cleveland, minus you guys just kind of trading places going from yeah. Cleveland to Detroit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But unless you, it, unless you move to another one of those cities. It's like everywhere else is looking, you're looking up to everywhere else pretty much. Yep. Like there's, you're at the bottom at the barrel. Yep when you're in those areas and moving 20 miles outside of town is enormously different. Now, Cody, the, the reasonable pushback that I guarantee would get from a listener. We're going to talk well, about this beer. Let's do this. Real oh, quick. Shit, 20 minutes. Crack, I'm, shoot. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think, uh, I think Cody properly introduced this. This is the uh, Firestone's hypnosis IPA. It's a nice little 6.7 percent ABV. Nice. Kind of a, a trippy little can, man. You got a kind of like a, shadow of a bear and fighting a find the fighter stone firestone uh lion there on the side it's, it's kind of trippy with this little eye i like it man it's, it's kind of trippy i think it screams hypnosis 
hopnosis is actually what it's called, I guess. Hopnosis. Shoot, I can't read. It is hopnosis. Yeah. Thank you for the correction there. Yeah, but it screams what they're trying to say here. Like you got that all-seeing eye looking at you with a hop in its eye. There's electric bolts everywhere. The whole can is in that black and white pattern that kind of like messes up your depth perception. Yeah. Um, kind of a little spiral. And, yeah, it's, it's weird. Dude, we're, we're talking about it. I like the can design. I like the name. Taste-wise, we're at a 6.7 IPA. It's an IPA. It tastes like an IPA. It does. This is a very classic IPA. Um, I think I would order it again. This is a bar. I I think this is a solid, solid 3-4. Yeah, 3-4 beer all day long. I go 3-6. 3-6, yeah. I, I think it's a solid beer. Yeah, um, I know. 3-6, it's a good IPA. Yeah, nothing to brag about. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, so anyways, like I said, the, the pushback that we're likely going to get from our listeners, like, all right, dumbass, like, you can't live off $30,000 20 miles outside of, you know, the inner cities of, you know, the Detroits and the Clevelands and stuff like that. And fair point. Yeah, so I, I there's a couple studies that I was reading into, and I, I even was doing some math over there. You're, when I told you I was doing a little studying, it's because I literally had to get out a pen and paper to do some math. <laughs> I love it. Um, and what I was finding is, is that I guess there was a study that they said, hey, we're going to give some families in these bad areas uh, some additional funds to move into what they deemed as wealthier neighborhoods um, or they would give them a voucher for section 8 housing which means they, they could do whatever they wanted with it so they get a, a normal voucher which gives them you know minimum amount of funds or they get a voucher that has like an extra 20 percent of funds but it required them to move into a wealthier neighborhood right so like a sub- suburb of some sort essentially and they they said uh, in the study, and I think there's two of them, we both came to the same conclusion, they're both federally backed, that not only did income go up, but also the IQ of both the mother and the child in the family. Because I'm guessing these are fatherless households. Single mothers, yeah. Yeah. Um, so IQ points went up, I think, between four and six points between the mother and the child in the study. And then money went up 23%. Wow. So a significant amount uh, of income difference. Uh, it went from about 12000 a year to $16,000 a year when they moved into the wealthier neighborhood. Now, here's the challenge, though. When you move into the wealthier neighborhood, is because you move from a job, like, l- let's say... And we know this because, you know, for per diem and, and, and when you're traveling and things like that, hotels cost drastically different amounts in oh San God. Francisco than in, say, Dallas, Texas. Yep. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. You can get a nice, solid hotel room for a buck fifty a night in Dallas. Uh-huh. San Francisco, you're lucky if you can get away with 500 bucks. Seriously, though. I yeah. mean, it's, it's unreal. So I'm wondering, when you move into the wealthier neighborhood, is it just because you go to a Starbucks and they're like, yeah, we pay a dollar more? Because a dollar more you know, on let's say $12 an hour is $23% more. So I was wondering kind of if there's kind of a, a locality bias, bias, bias happening bias. there. Yeah. So, but well, IQ also, is interesting, right? Also, I mean, don't you think like, you know, a high tide raises all boats, right? That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So I'm around your top five people, right? So now I start thinking differently. I start acting differently. I start thinking better ways yeah or i get a job and i'm like okay well none of my neighbors are taking days off none of my like you will notice in some areas people do not take days off um and maybe that's what's happening you know maybe there's 
part-time versus full-time. So, you know, another pushback that I anticipated, because I think, don't get me wrong, I, I think this is a difficult decision. I think it's, I think it's um, truly a, a very pivotal decision that a family can make. I mean, think about, think about what moving did, whether it was from Washington to California or here, you know, all the moving that you did as a child. Think about you and I, if you're still living in Friends, we don't know each other. Right. So think about the shift. Uh, and I, I would say I, I impacted your life in one way or another, you know, just because oh, yeah. the sheer amount of time that we spend together and you to me. So I know it's going to be a big pushback like, oh, well, you guys are just oversimplifying it. So what? I just move. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Click next podcast. But guys, <laughs> one of the benefits of moving is you actually can actually get ingrained into almost a support system. Right, because clearly where you're currently at, your neighbors and friends and family, your close close friends and family in that system, what seems to be happening, what the data is telling you about these neighborhoods, they're not exactly getting better, but actually quite often more tight than it's not. It's actually, you're getting worse. It's getting perpetuated. It's getting because rather than 20% being extreme poverty in the 80s, now in the 2020s, actually 30%. And eight of the top 10, it's actually gotten worse. So what I'm challenging guys is saying, hey, Rather than just me doing the same shit, expecting a different result, why wouldn't I move to maybe a lower cost of living like a Wyoming, like a Montana, and just completely get a, a culture shock, culture difference to where, A, you still don't need that much money to provide for your family to get three hot meals and a, and a, and a roof over your head. But now I'm actually going to completely change my environment to maybe try to find a support system. And the only reason why I say Wyoming is Montana because they're just historically low cost of living there, so... No, no, I, I see exactly what you're saying. You're like, hey, you know what? Right now, it may seem like a support system, but is it really? No. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a difference not. between, you know, just, just drinking buddies and bullshitting versus actually driving to a better life rather than just saying, you know, oh, yeah, I, I was going to do that. Oh, yeah, we should do this. No, no, no. Rather than talkers, you need to surround yourself with doers. Yeah, you know, so when I was looking at the map of the top 10 cities, I think nine out of the 10 were all up in the northeast pennsylvania i'm gonna sorry detroit i'm calling you northeast because like compared to the whole country uh, in quadrants i'm sorry yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i know we can get real specific but yeah quadrant quadrants you, they were all up there detroit cleveland philadelphia uh, ha uh hartford not hartford harlem uh was it harlem no harlem. not harlem harlem in new york no, it wasn't that. It was, what was the Connecticut? Hartford, then. Hartford. Hartford. Hartford, Connecticut. Um, nine, and then there was one down in, I think, Alabama or Mississippi. And I was thinking, something's going on because they're all old industrial areas. That's what they were. They were all industrialized areas. You got Detroit, you know, Auto City. Let's be honest, right? Unfortunately, that should be fixed. That that's not that's that's our own fault that Detroit's dying. Like Detroit should not be dying. You know, there's a reason for that. Toyota, Honda are kicking ass in America, but that's that's different policy decisions. That's not for us to decide right now. But I was looking, I was like, man, this is this is kind of sick because some of those cities were some of our richest cities in the past. It's not like it's not a, too long ago either. Exactly. It's not like it's a um it's it's impossible to fix because it was not actually like that not that long ago. Yeah, there there were decisions made, uh -huh. very intentional decisions made to to 
put these cities in a tailspin. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, because Detroit was like a metropolis. It was huge. There was so much money going in and out of Detroit, right? It was like, okay, New York, Detroit, Chicago for a while because Detroit had Ford, GM, yeah, uh, Chrysler, huge. The biggest companies in the United States history were all in one city. So I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that's like there was money there, but there's not money there for one couple of reasons. And so as we're drinking our second beer here, I'm thinking I'm like, I have a couple of solutions here. I actually wanted to solve this because I, I, I don't like this. I, I think it's I think this is our weakest man situation. Yeah. I think inner cities under, you know, impoverished areas, I think I think this is our weakest man. And as we all know, when you have a team, your weakest man is your is the why you lose. Team. Yeah, it's the strength of your team. It, yeah. It's why you lose, right? You only win if every man is as good as your average. You know? No, so, man, I, I agree with you on this one. You know, one thing we haven't really touched on this episode is the inflation. How it affects them? Oh, my gosh. I mean, dude, I don't know if what kind of pain you felt at the supermarket lately. I know we've all felt them at the gas pumps, but... The supermarket, your dollar does not stretch for shit. Dude, it's so at weird. the supermarket now. People tell me that it's like 10% different at supermarkets. I feel like I'm spending $100 more than I used put, to. Put that in percentage. Like, you know, would yeah. you call it like 25, so, 30, guys, 40 percent? My family, I have a family of four right now. Now, I do realize that we're buying a little bit more food because now like our two chi- children are actually eating real food. But... They're not eating $100 more of food. So I'm like wondering, what's going on here? We used to be able to go to the grocery store. Me and my family, we would spend $150 for an entire grocery, or whole week's worth of food. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, served at home. Yep. That's how we used to do it. 180 used to be high. Yeah. I can't, You wanted maybe some fillets that night yeah, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I can't get out of the grocery store for less than 230 to 250 for a family of four. And, and just to set the record, Jay, has your diet changed? Has no. you know any type of fads or anything like that you're trying Nothing. to? Nothing. Yeah. We're eating the exact same food. We're not eating more meat. We're not eating less meat. We, we eat, guys, just so you know, when we shop, we, we're eating probably 30 to 40% fruits, vegetables, and then probably of our bill, probably about 30% uh meats and then the rest is canned goods yeah I, I do my i do my grocery shopping on sunday <clears throat> it it pains me like i i do you luckily, think it's went up that much too dude i i literally get home and i'll talk to my wife and i'm like i i don't know how people are doing this 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 is this is wild i mean we again you know we're, we're a family of two we used to get out of the grocery store for about a Buck twenty five, yeah, yeah, ish for a family of two for the week, ah, dude. It's, what, are you hitting like two hundred almost? There are certain meals, you know. There are certain weeks, you know, where we kind of want to try different recipes. To where I don't have all the ingredients already, yeah. and yeah, we easily hit two, man. Easily hit two, and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, for a family of two, you know, our, our grocery bill is what six to seven hundred dollars a month. Grocery bill, not eating out, not restaurants, all this stuff. Grocery bill, six hundred seven hundred dollars a month. That's that's so much money. This this inflation, I know it's. I know. uh, I think as of today, I think we're nine point two, nine point one. We know who it kills them. Like, you know, luckily for us, fortunate enough for us, like 
the grocery bill sucks, right? Um, we'll bitch, but we're not going hungry. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're not in that poverty line area, right? We're, we're above that. And so the people in the poverty line, when they go to the grocery store, I know. Dude, I looked I know. at canned items. I used to be able to get a can of tomatoes, a can of beans, dollar, dollar. That's how I always remember. I'm like, hey, I can get four, uh, four for uh, four for four. That was always my, my yep. in my mind. Yep, they'd always have a little deals promos, four for four. Right, two, two fifty now. One seventy five. One seventy five. Yeah. One seventy five for a can of tomatoes. Anna had to slap my hand the other day because I grabbed a pack of four because I used to always I always buy the pack of four. Yeah, right? yeah. That's my mind. It's a better deal. The pack of four, right? Um, but it was a different brand that I normally buy. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go because the other brand didn't have a pack of four that day. I'm thinking, well, the pack of four is always a better deal because it's already all kind of like in a package. Mm-hmm. $7. $7 for a pack of four. And you used to get it for four bucks. You used to get it for four bucks, right? And, and let's be honest, in a can of tomatoes, it's the same can of tomatoes. It doesn't matter the brand or anything like that, right? No, that's a commodity. Exactly. So, so I guess, you know, to kind of put this back into real terms from a, from a topic standpoint, oh my gosh. So now, now what sucks is you've essentially all but forced these people because they, it's almost cheaper to go get a freaking happy meal and to almost cheaper get a double, double and a Wendy's junior cheeseburger for a dollar, dollar 25 still. So now, now you promoted unhealthy habits. Now, do you think, I, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't getting done enough driving around like downtown Phoenix area, but I know that there's less restaurants. There's less of those fast food restaurants in downtown Phoenix. Like if if we were going to look at all of Phoenix metro area, where would you say is an impoverished area? I think the only area that we really have is like South Phoenix. South Phoenix, I I would say parts of Mesa too, probably. Maybe Casa Grande. Yeah, that's getting out there. Maybe Apache Junction. Um, AJ, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're right. There are some areas, but when you go to those areas, you notice that there's less fast food too, though. There's less... You see just in less establishments, establishments, yeah. In general. And so even saying, oh, well, I'm not going to go to the grocery store. Do they even have like a McDonald's with it? Maybe, maybe within five miles, but it's not within two to three miles, which is what I would say is convenient. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like looking at these ideas. So let's, we're we're at. uh, We're we're rounding up. Yeah, we're going to round our second. Yeah, yeah, we're going to. Any any other topics that maybe we haven't touched on just to paint the picture (laughs) appropriately? I think. I think you're going to want to talk about a couple of my solutions. I think you're going to want to dig into them. Let's hear it, man. They're not mine, 100%, but I was digging through how do we fix this, and there's every single idea has been thrown at the board. Apparently, this has been an issue for the last 20 years. Like, 1990s, they started to really focusing in on how to fix this. Um, so, like, the Brookings Institute said that this this is a situation that we have where we might as well throw anything at the board. That's fixed. Exactly. They're like this. We are impoverished neighborhoods are are so bad and such a issue for America in a whole. They're bringing us down. They're they are weakest link on the team. Let's do anything to fix it. I we at this point they said that we're willing to try anything for policy. I'm not going to give you those ideas because they're about 22 years old. I'm going to give you the ones that have kind of been thrown around for the last couple of years and see what your thoughts are. So a couple of them here. Um, these ones are been thrown around by a couple of different um, senators and representatives um, in the in the Democratic Party. First thing we need to do is they say expand safety social nets um, for folks, uh, such as extending unemployment money 
um, very similar to how the CARES Act did. So if you're unemployed, you would receive an additional $600 to $700 a pay period uh, every two weeks to four weeks uh, of money if you were unemployed. Another one would be increasing the minimum wage so that the minimum wage was now $15 an hour in some of those neighborhoods because they believe um, the the minimum wage is the challenge. It's, it's promoting poverty in those neighborhoods. Um, providing maybe permanent paid family leave or, or medical leave. So if you had another child, it would be like a, a permanent situation where you would receive funding. Um, having some type of access to permanent free health care might reduce the strain on the situation. Reforming a criminal justice system um, and making sure that anybody that was going to jail, perhaps. Maybe the laws are changed, shifted for those specific areas so that we didn't have families that were you know, separated. <clears throat> That's a couple of them that have been proposed in the last two to three years, specifically for fixing impoverished neighborhoods. What do you think about those in general? Sounds like I'm about to go to D.C. With a, with a couple of flash drives and start handing out six-pack discussion episodes. <laughs> Do you think those are challenging? Well, one, I want to attack immediately right off the bat to where I think it's a horrible idea is the raising of minimum wage. How many times have we mentioned in this podcast alone how few businesses there are in these neighborhoods? So now you want to make their overhead double, you know, raise it from 750 to 1500 I'm sorry, 15? Yeah. No, I look at these and I think every one of these will do two things. It will raise the cost of living for those areas, mm-hmm. even more so. And it will, and second, it will increase inflation for the entire country because every one of these are, are taxpayer funded. Well, okay. Are those your two? I have... No, no, no. Oh. Are those your two, like, you know... Those are what I think they the are. first do. order effect? Yeah. So I think you're actually missing, a, I would argue, the biggest one Uh-oh. of the first order effect of that. Cody, here we are sitting in our new studio, right? You worked your ass off. You and your wife have worked your butts off to, yeah. to get to where you're at right now, right? If this was handed to you in any shape or form, do you think you would probably work as hard to maintain it? Do you think you would maybe want to, you know, create this awesome little accent wall? Do you think you would maybe want to even, you know, do a podcast like this where it extends a little bit of effort? If things are just given to you, do you ever want to improve? Do you ever want to get better? Or do you just almost incentivize complacency? Do you, no, no, not incentivize, I'm sorry, reward. Continuously, per pay period, reward complacency? No. So that's actually my biggest gripe with the majority of those. I viewed them as rewarding bad decisions and rewarding complacency. And also punishing people that are doing something that revolves decision because you're And what you mean by, I was just about to say, what you mean by punishing is the people that are paying for this, i.e. the majority of the taxpayers. Yeah, and guys, I I think you guys- I know we sound like assholes. I know. I think think you might be coming off Jerry right now, but what comes to mind to me is we went to high school with a couple of very privileged individuals, Right fairly well-off individuals. You know, everybody knows them. They drew, drove the Hummers, yeah, drove yeah. the Benzes. Drove nice vehicles. Yep. 
And some of them we still know to this day. Correct. And you look at the items they've ever owned. And I think both me and you have both always made the comments or we've looked at each other in the eyes and said, hmm, it doesn't seem like they care about their own stuff. How they treat it. How they maintain it. And I think it's an interesting thing. We've had this conversation, I think, off mic a couple of times where the idea of not caring for stuff because you you didn't work for it affects both sides of the spectrum. It affects people that receive any type of government assistance, but it also affects people that are on the high end of the spectrum if they didn't receive it from their own work, but from their parents. And, 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 and I think that's what you're trying to say right now is we're not actually trying to say this is specifically something that's government assistance issue. It's just if you don't work for something. You yeah, yeah. Appreciate I mean, it. Look, I appreciate you know our elected officials trying to throw some stuff at the wall, you know, because I mean, clearly this is becoming an increasing issue. You know, the problem is only getting worse as each passing day and administration comes. But you know, I thought you, I thought you put it, you put it beautifully there, man. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing that you get that you didn't work for, that you didn't earn, that you're going to take care of. I mean, there's a reason why so many damn lottery winners go broke because you didn't earn that. That's so crazy. Right now, we have one of the biggest lotteries, I think, in the world. Didn't $1.2 billion just get selected yesterday or oh, a couple days ago? Yeah. Oh, got already pulled. Yeah, it just got pulled. Yeah. Okay. That guy or that girl is going to go broke. They're going to go either broke, they're going to kill themselves, or they're going to get taken advantage of five ways to the sunrise. It's It's one of those things where money attracts probably the wrong type of people and the good type of people right it, it's going to attract some con artists to that person and they're going to take advantage of you because you didn't you didn't go through the tribulations to get there there yeah. are the consequences I, I mean there's a reason why you know people view business owners and inheritance owners differently in in a country club 100 percent. i mean good bad or different but there's a difference between earning it and there's a Difference between getting in your mailbox. Old money, new money. Yep. There's even a re- there's even terms for it. I know. I know. And look, not all money looks the same. You know what I mean? Uh-uh. Like there's a reason why I could go in your truck right now. And despite you having one little toddler and one little infant, I bet it's pretty damn nice still. And no, I'm sure there's a couple toys or whatever because yeah, you're still a yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, But whenever you go to someone that maybe just got handed a truck, and it's like, oh my gosh, I need to put on a mask or a respirator because this is disgusting. It's funny. So I, I had clients in town and I was like, oh fuck, I, I, I gotta, I gotta take them out. And so I go into my truck, I remove the two car seats and I look around, I'm like, actually, I don't need to go get a car wash today. I'm good. So my vehicle was clean enough to go take customers out after I took the car. The car seats, of course, is just a nuance. You can't yeah. keep them in there. Um, so I took them out and I was like, oh, this is fine. I was, I was thinking I got to run to the car wash today, but I just kept it. I've kept it clean enough to make sure that it wasn't, you know, in abysmal shape. Okay. So I walked you through a couple of, so I I don't like those. I don't think those incentivize or reward, I'm sorry, reward the right behavior. I think I agree. I think all these are very challenging. I think we have safety nets. Um, the last thing we want to do is make the safety nets comfortable 
Well, I know that sounds, sounds I know it heartless. sounds horrible. It sounds heartless. But comfort comfort creates complacency. Yeah. And and I've been in complacency. You've been in complacency. Yep. And you know when you get there, it is a trap that may be worse than poverty. It feels so good. But guess what? You're gonna die good. Who wants to die good? You want to die great. You want to die happy. You want to die all these other things. No one wants to die good. Mm-hmm. And complacency makes you good. Right? It just because, hey, yep, I, I, I have my basic needs met. Safety nets make you good. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Right? It, it, it allows for that. And so here. I'm okay with safety nets. I'm okay with them. I do too. Not yeah. killing you upon impact. But I want you to break a couple bones upon impact. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want I want it to be not comfortable. Yeah. I right? want you to be on crutches for a little while. But yes. I want you to heal and get better and then start running marathons again. Metaphorically, of course. Yep. Here is um, the other side of the aisles, policy solutions. Um, the Republican side, they've, they really have two ideas. Um, good, bad, and different here on these ones. They've really focused on not providing specific benefits to individuals which I have some rough around. They haven't figured that one out, I guess. But what they've said is, let's create opportunity zones, they've called it. Mm, yeah, I came across these. Yeah, and and what they said is, hey, we are going to provide um, federal tax benefits to developers, real estate people, um, businesses, if they decide to open a business or provide investment in distressed areas in the United States. So they've highlighted areas that are impoverished, and they said, hey, guys, if you put your new building here, if you put your new headquarters here, if you put your new sub-headquarters here, if you put any money here and provide job opportunities, if you provide you know, cash flow running through this, this building, we're going to give you a huge tax incentive. And the idea here is that it will spur economic growth and job creation in low-income communities while providing tax benefits to the investors of that building. So that's really their model is, hey, let's provide a reason for people to reinvest in these communities. What are your thoughts on that? So, you know, I, I, I saw that. This is back in 2017, yeah, 18. Yeah. So I saw that and, and maybe... All I did was read an article about this. So I want to tell myself here. So I'm not that well-versed. So if I am, you know, going outside the left and right boundaries on what I understand this to be, please, please let me know. But essentially what it is, to my understanding, is, you know, XYZ Corporation, they become incentivized to go into South Phoenix, to Detroit, and say, hey, you invest a couple million dollars in a building here, you know, 10, 12 FTE, and we're going to give you a break. Is that my understanding? Yeah. Like, hey, let's say let's say you're going to put a $1 million building mm-hmm. that will have 10 full-time employees yep. in Detroit. And yep. you would normally pay, um, let's say, 10% taxes yep. across yep. the board. Yep. You now will pay 6%. Yep. You'll get 4% okay. back. So, so that's what I th- understood it to be. So I don't hate it, but I think it can be approved upon. What I would like is either the government's or the big banks, or even smaller community credit unions and banks. What I would like to see is saying, hey, you prove that you live in XYZ neighborhood within this, you know, within these zones, within this uh, zip code. Mm -hmm. 
I would like to see the government almost pay the interest on the business tax. You know, something like that. I would like to see, rather than the incorporations, the bigger corporations incentivized, I would actually like to see the money generate through or within the community. Because look, let's face it. Every dollar that goes into like, you know, a regional corporation or something like that, that's going back to, you know, this, oh, this big conglomerate to where I would like to see the government, hey, if you're going to get these tax breaks, great. I just want them allocated towards, I think, the right people. And that's why I say, hey, here's my home of record. I live in 85249. 85249 happens to be a classified as an impoverished neighborhood. Therefore, the government is going to take care of your taxes for your business loan. You want to incentivize an interest. entrepreneurship Bingo. in the local areas. Ooh, Bingo. Buddy. That's where I think it can be buddy. evolved into. Fucking Jared coming down. These are good ideas. That's a good idea. So hey. That's my that's my I, I, I think that's you, my feather. I think you keep what we got it currently got. Right. Right. Because what the idea there is is let's bring foreign, not foreign, but Yeah, I knew what you mean. Out outside of state money. Outside money. Because that's what you need to start with. Yep. Let's bring outside money here. It creates job growth in the short term. Mm-hmm. It creates cash flow for the local community in the short run. Right. Let's say I'm Chase Bank and I'm going to look, uh, you know, big bank. I'm going to open up a regional headquarters in Detroit. Yep. I'm going to employ 250 people. Awesome. Woo. 250 people. Now those 250 people all have, you know, let's say $50,000 income. Love it. That's probably the average. Yep. Yeah. Now they have $50,000 in income a year. They're going to go spend that money. Let's be honest. Damn right. They will. Cool. They earned it. Yeah, they well, should. What you're saying is, is hey, because that Chase Bank just came down, they just got that little four percent break on their federal, you know, tax, you know, deal. They went from ten to six, whatever the numbers are, guys. I'm just making. Yeah, these yeah. Up. you're just doing it for, for yeah for fact. yeah. Okay, cool. Chase was incentivized. Jared says, "Well, I also want that local barber, that local yep. massage, uh, you know, yep, per- person, day spa, whatever. I don't care. Restaurant, um." Uh, whatever it is, yeah. they say, you know what? Convenience store, I don't care. I, I, I've always wanted to open up my own facility. And now the government's going to incentivize me that I live 200, you know, uh, l- let's say it's, you know, within five square miles of a zip code. If I open up a business in these zip codes, I have, I, I'm going to go so far as zero. I, I, I wasn't getting when I said, yeah. Uncle zero. Sam covers my interest because I, I don't zero. think the big banks. I don't think it's on them to to single handedly lift this up. I think it's, I think it can be I, on the government. I'm okay with that. I think it's a revenue thing. So you, you, we say, hey, you know what? Under five million or two million dollars in revenue. Yep. You may you pay zero federal income tax on not your dollars. Yep. Not a dime. Because what we want to do is we want to see your little small business have five employees. And I want that money to stay within the community because I want those people that these are employees to spend other money within the community. Boom. That's what I want. So I want to see the opportunity zone evolve. Yeah. Opportunity zone, like plus local or something like that. Whatever it is. We we can brand it later. That's my idea, man. That's a good idea. And dude, the funny thing is the government's like this. Oh, we need some money from them. Really? This is a problem. Why? It's costing you money. 60 to 80 year problem. And, and, and honestly, this isn't a retribution. I'm not trying to paint it mm. like that. Mm. Look, we, we no. no, I can't do anything to fix the past. I can recognize that America fucked up. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. But I think there are some significant steps. And I don't think you do it by incentivizing the B of A's and the chases and you know the other you know big boys out there, big girls out there. I, I think you do it by putting money 
putting the time, putting the energy, putting the, the resources in the community. I want to see it come from within, not from outside. Dude, you would create with this plan, you would create so many millionaire entrepreneurs. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be fun. Okay. So the only problem with this entire plan, and I don't Ooh, I'm curious. Pick a hole in it. I, I, I couldn't I, see it. I don't think it's a problem. The only problem the government would say, we're losing tax dollars. And, and no, what, no, but, but you're, you're losing tax dollars, but look what you're not paying for all these more people on welfare. You're gaining taxpayers, actually. And, and look at all the you're R&D. You're gaining taxpayers, look actually. Look at all the R&D that's going to naturally occur. You're gaining taxpayers. All the people that were unemployed are now have a job. You know, all I'd people, be curious to see the net gain or loss on that. It would be positive. It had to be, right? 100%. I, didn't, Every, I don't want in the numbers, but it had to be positive. All boats float up. All you're doing is you're providing a small business owner, 2 million to 5 million, whatever the number is. That's not huge. That's a, that's a rounding error in taxes for the government. Well, that's one. their revenue. That's not even how much they would pay in taxes, right? Right. Right. They're paying in taxes maybe $200,000. Okay, so we're losing out $200,000. Well, they employ five people. Well, five people is $200,000. Okay, in in, in in good jobs. Dude. That's my idea, man. You take opportunity zones, keep that going. Cause, yeah, sure. Because you need you need outside money. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I just think it. it could evolve. 100%. Yeah. Dude, we are wrapping this thing up right now. So, impoverished neighborhoods, fixable? What do you think? I think it is, man. And, and I'm actually curious to see who would push back on that, Democrats and or Republicans. I don't, I couldn't see the cons in my myopic view, admittedly. Um, I couldn't see the cons in this one. I don't think so either. I think the answer is definitely incentivizing business owners to bring everybody up. It's not providing free money from other people. If you do that, you kind of continue the cycle. Because yeah, right see, now, there's that, so much money going in that's free, and it doesn't create incentive. That, and I think that's where we're all kind of in agreement right now. 100%. 1,000% actually. Okay, guys. I'm ready to wrap this up. You good? Yeah, man. I'm good. Um, should we talk about, you know, maybe a couple teasers of the next episodes, what we were talking about? Maybe uh, including? I don't, I don't even know which one's next. Dude, uh, I'm going to throw this on you. I think we've got to talk about the Brittany Grinder. They're especially here in Phoenix, man. Especially here in Phoenix. It is widely talked about and I, and I think of the majority of our listeners I think they have an opinion but it's a very polarizing effect to share your opinion either if you're for or against what's going on with Brittany Griner but I, I think okay. that's got to we got to sneak that one in there man I think we got to go outside of the schedule so we go I guess foreign uh what, what do you even call that just Brittany Griner I guess dude Where's I'm Brittany okay Griner? I think we can expand it a little bit throughout our organic conversation okay. but I think we have to talk about the Brittany Griner situation I love the title of it yeah Hey, later, guys. See ya.